And that is the report. And I'll be happy to take any questions. Excellent. Thank you so much. Um, our clerk has stepped out. I don't know if we have speakers. But if we have speakers, we'll get to them in just a second. Why don't we go straight to uh, uh, questions, questions and comments from the board? Ms. O'Grady. Thank you very much, Dr. Cannon. And Dr. Lee, let me ask you about, um, can you just give me some examples of what our students might be experiencing in the classroom when it comes to project-based learning that they might be excited to come home and tell their parents about? So a big component in our elementary program is the ele uh, engineering is elementary where uh, it's a project-based learning component uh, at, and we provide these programs at the grades three, four, and five. Uh, one such program uh, is at the fourth grade level where students learn how to find solutions to an oil spill. And in those, that situation, the students learn not only about the water ecosystem, but also create and design their own solutions using a variety of different variables that they think of. And then they, and a lot of these solutions can be long-term, where students work in small groups or in whole groups to develop some ideas and then try to follow up on those ideas. We have those kinds of activities at grades three, four, and five with the idea that as they matriculate into secondary, that they have that foundation in project-based learning so that they could use the FOSS kits and also move forward in independent research projects. Thank you, that's an exciting example. I'm sure kids really enjoy that. And I wanted to ask you about the students who are moving on and taking advanced classes once they get into upper levels. Um, I wanted to know whether or not uh, traditionally underrepresented groups in the sciences are taking advantage of these um, more uh, intensified courses. So last year we had a very large uh, enrollment increase in our AP and IB courses and we looked at the data to see uh, which students are, are accounting for that increase and while we still see that uh, a large percentage of those students are, are white students, we're seeing more uh, students, uh, Hispanic and black students who are taking these courses. Um, it's about 65% of the 900 and so students who are taking the AP classes are white students and about the other 35% are um, non-white students with 10%, um, about 11% Asian students. Um, our Hispanic students are, have really increased in their uh, taking uh, AP courses. Um, about 14% of that number are Hispanic students. Thank you for sharing that. And uh, the last question I ha would have for you is, I know some of our students come from schools that are very science focused. Um, are we seeing students who come from all of our elementary schools being quite as interested in science as maybe some students who come from uh, schools that have a bigger concentration in science? And I, I'm gathering that you're referring to students from those schools taking AP and IB courses, is that? Oh, yes. Okay, so courses. we haven't necessarily done an analysis of students who perhaps come from uh, Arlington Science Focus in terms of how many uh, AP or IB courses. But what's very exciting is the, um, the program at Hoffman Boston that started about five years ago. Uh, those students now in the third and fourth grade are 
about eighth and ninth grade right now. Mm -hmm. And so it's, we're extremely excited about looking at some of those analysis to see about, to see whether those have made an impact in terms of their science attitude, aptitude and also their, uh, uh, their preparation in high school. Uh, and I think that the program, uh, Hoffman Boston STEM program has been extremely uh, powerful and exciting and it really lends itself for some uh, longitudinal study over multiple years as we have more and more students moving from Hoffman Boston into our high school programs. Okay, thank you so much. I just wanted to um, just say that while we have some schools that have exemplary focuses uh, focus on science, I do think it's important to encourage all our kids, no matter where they go in elementary school, to get excited about science. And that's why I am happy to hear um, some of the stories that you've been telling about project-based learning. So no matter where you, you are in elementary school, you can get excited about science. So thank you. Thank you. Plus the scientists in the schools. Which yes. really is a great program at every, you said every elementary school? We, right now we have 19 scientists out of the 23 mm -hmm. uh, elementary schools. We have 19 and some schools have two scientists. So if anyone's watching and is a scientist, we need a few more volunteers. And we have an amazing scientist at Drew, Dr. Horn, who's focused a lot on what you have mentioned, project-based learning, supporting our students in, at Drew and the, the students and staff there just is ecstatic about having him there. Great, yep. Any questions? Um, Mr. Goldstein? Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Oh, thank you, Dot. Um, uh, can, could you go back to slide seven, please? Sure. Uh, yeah, yeah, that one. Uh, so I think we saw these um, end of course trends last fall. And I think the question asked back then was, are these numbers statistically significant? I think they are because the end number for Virginia is every single uh, school system. So we're, we're talking about a very large uh, number. Um, and with a 4% uh, difference is quite significant. If we're talking about 1% or 2%, I would hesitate, but with 4% with it's significant. Yeah, that's what actually I was referring to was the 1% uh, uptick mm -hmm. that we're showing between school year 15, 16 and the last school year, the 87, 87 to 88%. Mm -hmm. Now, the numbers between 87 and 88 could be accounted for just variance, but if you're comparing between the state and, and Arlington, it's statistically significant. But in terms of whether 87 and 88, whether those changes, those may not be significant based on a whole host of confounding variables. Okay, thanks. Um, and then can you go to slide 10, please? And this question is really for, uh, I think you've got the same uh, matrix on the next four slides or something, but my first question is, where did the, where's the recommendation coming from? The recommendations come from two sets. One is from our program evaluation. Some of those questions come from, and then based on what our needs are from uh, our advisory committee, from 
our lead teachers meeting from uh, surveys, a whole host of things that allow us to develop those recommendations based on best practices and what are the current needs and trends in our programs. And so how did you, what do you, do you have four? Is that what it is, four mm -hmm. recommendations? Mm -hmm. And so how did you determine that it would be these four would be recommendations from all of that input that you just described? So the safety one uh, kind of was born, if you recall, from the uh, unfortunate accident over at Fairfax County uh, where several students were injured. And as a result of that, uh, our science office wants to take a proactive approach rather than a reactive approach. And we reached out and collaborated with facilities and operations, working with um, the APS uh, safety manager, uh, coordinator David Roberts, as well as uh, Terry Carson, the risk manager for our school division in terms of what is it, what is our current state in terms of safety, what are areas that we can work on so that we don't ever have any kind of accidents or minimize it as much as possible, and where do we, what do we need to do to get to that point. So that's how we develop the, that as a recommendation and uh, safety, I think, is paramount because if we don't have safety, nothing else matters. Right. Yeah, I, I agree. I'm, I'm glad that was a top recommendation. Um, and the other ones, I mean, how did you, you must have had a whole bunch of input that could have led you to uh, a bunch of different recommendations. How did you, you know, decide on, on the uh, four that you decided, well, the other three? Those are the four that I think we have uh, a critical need the most. Um, several of them are right from our program evaluation. For instance, the pathways to uh, provide our students with multiple ways to uh, earn credit for graduation. Um, it goes back to the strategic plan in terms of helping all students uh, succeed. And one of the data that we looked at is the gap in terms of graduation, in terms of uh, success for our students, especially our, um, our HILT students, our ESOL HILT students. What we're finding is that looking at data, a lot of our students are struggling to get the graduation credits needed for on-time graduation or even graduation at all. And what we've learned is that a lot of the courses that we're providing, which are wonderful, uh, they provide the foundation for our students, but they're not getting those credits counted towards graduation uh, through the uh, diploma requirement. So we're looking at different pathways to support our students to get those foundational knowledge, to get the, the uh, language development, at the same time also getting the credit so that they can graduate. So it's a combination of looking at data, uh, looking at the uh, APS strategic plan, and how we can get to the point in terms of helping all of our students become successful. Okay, thank you. Um, and so these areas where there, there are no more next steps, does that mean that those action steps are, have been completed? Yes, so the things that we've talked about, so develop, I'll give you an example, develop the framework for emergency management plan booklet for the outdoor lab. This year, our outdoor lab uh, co-directors worked with uh, both the APS uh, safety coordinator and the risk manager, so the framework is now in place. What we're going through is a process of refinement uh, on the uh, emergency management plan booklet, uh, having several iterations with 
the science staff as well as uh, facilities and operations staff with the uh, delivery uh, date of fall. So yes, to answer your questions, anything that's not anything, anything that says action steps to date, those have been completed. Um, and then the next steps are things that we're hoping to complete between now and the fall or the spring of 2019. Uh, I see. Okay, thank you. Uh, so one more question. And you mentioned the outdoor lab um, a couple of times. So I was wondering if you can give us some insight into what the future uh, plans are for um, the outdoor lab, because we're fortunate enough to have that um, nonprofit, the, the partner, um, Arlington Outdoor Education Association, uh, who owns the land and um, you know is a, a, a strong partner with us. And they have had that 50-year history of um, land there and uh, relationship with APS. So um, w what do we foresee as, you know, where this is going to go and the next steps and, you know, things like that? Because I know they're, you know, committed to that partnership. And as we're growing, it's putting strains on what's possible there because of facilities and everything else. So if you could, um, you know, expand a little bit on that, I'd appreciate it. So as we all know, the Outdoor Lab is an amazing, amazing resource for our students. Um, but at the same time, we're also hitting capacity, similar to the capacity issue that we have in our school buildings. We also have capacity issues over at the Outdoor Lab. Right now, the Outdoor Lab is at full capacity. Uh, similar to the planetarium calendar, we post our Outdoor Lab calendar so that we know exactly schools, teachers, families, parents know exactly which school goes to which date. Um, the, looking at projections for the upcoming year as we continue to grow, um, the, the only way for us to keep the program is to focus on areas that is, is uh, the, the key areas of the AOEA. So I've had, um, I had the uh, pr uh, opportunity to meet with the AOEA and look at what are the program what are the grade levels that are attending the outdoor lab and given the capacity issues i've asked them what are the priorities uh, in terms of if we have to reallocate the dates um, their response was that they want to prioritize at all the grade levels first of all but if we have to reallocate they would like to keep the third and fifth grade um, intact uh, our science office believes the same uh, uh, idea too because at the elementary level it's it's uh, a very uh, a great opportunity for our students to learn about uh, nature and have that experience um, looking forward into the next few years because of the capacity issue most likely we will have to reallocate the um, middle school slots to make the elementary school slots whole uh, so what that means is to uh, give the slots from the seventh grade program to for the uh, third and fifth grade because what's happening is that we have third grade and fifth grade classes from two sections to three or classes let's say at Taylor where you have three classes historically that are now have four sections so in order to accommodate all of those students we have to give them more days um, I hope that answers your question uh, mostly, yeah. Is there any idea about expansion of facilities and then 
you know, staff or resources that would be able to better accommodate. I mean, I think what I heard in what you just said is that because of our enrollment growth, we're necessarily narrowing the outdoor lab options for the students. Mm -hmm. And so I'm wondering if, you know, we've got a plan or an idea for expansion of facilities and then, you know, uh, uh, augment that with uh, extra staff and be able to at least maintain and hopefully expand to uh, different grade levels. We do have a plan. Uh, of course, it will uh, require uh, funding. Um, one of the most prominent uh, uh, plan or key ideas that we have is to have concurrent programs at the outdoor lab, which would serve more students. Uh, and when I say concurrent programs, meaning that they would have to have two buses coming out at the same time. And one of the bus, let's say, uh, maybe serving a third grade program, and another bus maybe serving a fifth grade program at different uh, sections or, or parts of the outdoor lab so those we would have we would need staffing for coverage and transportation for that to happen and again those those would require funding and I know that there are uh, budgetary restrictions especially in, in in a year like this thank you very much uh, Ms. Van Dorn just to piggyback on that I um, I understand that we're you focused that part of the conversation on the outdoor lab, but we do have a variety of really excellent nature centers in Arlington, so I hope that we think flexibly if we're up against a wall on the, on the budget as we work that out. But there, we sometimes forget that we have these great centers that are sometimes within walking distance of our schools. Um, I really just wanted to say thank you. I'm very impressed with the way you look at where we need to go, look at our priorities, target your resources and get results. It's just really amazing and thank you because I see it at the school level. I see it with my children at the school level and throughout the system. And there are some tough nuts that you've cracked like serving the ESOL Hilt students and helping them with vocabulary and moving them along. You can see those results. So thank you very, very much. Thank you, and I also want to add that we are in conversations. Uh, we had a couple of conversations with the Nature Center, also looking at the possibility of using uh, resources over there. Uh, in fact, we have a meeting at 10 o'clock tomorrow with representatives from there over at SciFax to look at what are options for us to uh, leverage the county resources and also to give our um, students that outdoor learning experience. But thank you. Mr. Lento. Um, Dr. Lee, first of all, I want to commend you on a wonderful presentation. I really appreciate the information that you shared and the thoroughness um, and preci precision of your your answers to our questions. Thank you very much. It was a really great presentation. I'm curious. There was a recommendation. I don't know if it was from the committee or at some point um, where if we obtained one uh, additional FTE for the outdoor lab, we would be able to reinstate the high school dates back to, um, I think it was uh, 40 that we're missing and build an additional 10 days for elementary school that can be used as makeup days. And we would need to increase transportation to accommodate that. So my question would be, considering our enrollment growth, um, if we had added that one FTE, would, how long would that sustain us? Do you have an answer? Is it, 
are you are we thinking that we're going to need one FTE every year, every two years, considering how we're growing? So that would be my first question. And then the second question would be, um, how much can the outdoor lab accommodate? So is it a matter of space at the outdoor lab, or is it a matter of FTEs, or is it both? And I recognize you may not be prepared to answer these questions, so at the, if you're not, I'm happy to take it as a follow-up. But just trying to understand as we look at this budget, as well as future budget years, in uh, the importance that we have um, that we focus here on the outdoor lab for our students. So. So this a lot has to do with other factors, and the biggest factor is the AOEA. Uh, we have been in communication with them, and they are interested in expanding the outdoor lab in terms of facilities to accommodate more students. And one of the key questions is that they're wondering, or they wanted to get a commitment on in terms of whether if they are building, are we providing the FTE resources? So it's kind of a situation of, who's going to move first in terms of providing that expansion. Um, and to the first part of your question, if we add an FTE, that would move us in for the next, at least for the next three years, given the number projections. If our number projections are correct, uh, and uh, I know that it may fluctuate, so. Thank you. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. That's very helpful. And I do want to again thank you for the um, last recommendation that you're working on, the uh, environmental science for upcoming school year and um, the multiple pathways to graduation. I'm very grateful for that work you're doing. So thank, thank you. you. Mr. Goldstein has a quick follow-up. I'm sorry, I forgot to ask. You were talking about uh, your recommendations that had flowed from an evaluation uh, report, department evaluation. Yes, the program evaluation that we did three, four years ago. Four years ago. That was my question. Thank you. You're welcome. Quick. It was you. quick. This is a board that loves science and loves teaching and learning, and they made it through a budget hearing, and a lot of, and we're doing construction next, so we enjoy stretching out and talking about what matters most, which is what's happening with our students. So I hope you don't mind that we're sort of keeping you with a lot of questions and comments. So I, I just have a couple um, that I want to ask as well. So first of all, I think we were all sad to miss the Regional Science Fair. It is a great event, um, and we have sent kids all the way to the Intel um, national competition, so best of luck to these guys to, to get there as well. Um, I just want to ask about two areas, and they are very related to the budget. The first is the, the proposed budget reduction in content lead teachers. And I think there's been, this is something we heard a lot of comments um, during the public hearing. Um, I believe it's the case that the actual proposed reduction refers to elementary and one of the areas, one of the content lead teachers who would um, be reduced out would be the science, elementary science. Um, and I wondered um, what, what you think the implications of that would be. Um, the elementary science lead teacher plays a major role in supporting a lot of the programs. Um, they coordinate the outdoor lab, so when we send out the dates, they need to work with their team. Uh, they coordinate uh, the textbook re uh, resources as well as the planetarium so we have a wonderful planetarium program where uh, they also coordinate that with their colleagues our uh, scientists in the classroom each year we have a new uh, uh, group of scientists who's willing to uh, commit for a year so they would work with the scientists in terms of the uh, with their principal with the volunteer forms and also help distribute where that scientists go 
uh, in the school, whether the scientists work at a specific class or a grade level. So the, the, the responsibility is, is extremely large. Um, I think without that position, then those uh, responsibilities would have to be delegated to someone else. Um, some of our teachers would volunteer. I don't think all of them would because our teachers are stretched. Uh, sometimes uh, those responsibilities may end up going to the principal or the assistant principal. But those are very critical responsibilities to make sure that our programs run smoothly. That's very helpful. Thank you. Um, and uh, my other question is also about what we heard at the budget hearing. There was a comment from someone who was on the Science Advisory Committee talking about their recommendation um, for an outdoor learning coordinator. And I, I, if I recall correctly from that committee, a number of their recommendations were about outdoor learning. Mm -hmm. So I wondered, um, uh, is that an area we're very strong as, as many um, uh, of my colleagues have already mentioned, we, we're doing a lot in science and I love all the dual enrollment and the new courses and the summer courses and things like that. But I wonder if, um, what, would, what would we get with an outdoor learning coordinator? Um, you know, what are we missing? Mm -hmm. So um, the outdoor learning coordinator uh, would play a role in terms of if the outdoor lab wasn't going to be expanded. Our thinking is that this person would serve as the outdoor lab staff out at the nature centers where they would receive the buses and the teachers and students would come to either Long Branch or Gulf Branch and they would conduct these activities with these uh, students as if they were uh, conducting the activities when they're at the outdoor lab. I didn't know that. Um, okay, so they, their jobs would, they would be out at the nature centers receiving students from the different schools and again doing, um, and, and we, that would be, all schools would then be expected to participate in that or would it be by choice? And that depends on how the outdoor lab looks, situation looks, because the idea yeah. is that if there are no dates available or given the last few weeks where there's cancellations, then schools that have lost the uh, outdoor lab dates will have priority. And then we could also add in other grade levels so that they have that outdoor learning experience. The, um, the resources at in with Arlington County is is tremendous, and I think it's a great idea for us to use it and take advantage, leverage it uh, in, as much as we can. But we want to do that in a very thoughtful manner, where when school programs are out there, that they have a a, a, a meaningful program and not just walking around. And offhand, you may or may not know this. Um, offhand, we have some schools that somehow have allocate or have someone who kind of does outdoor learning for them. Um, do you know how many uh, elementary schools, do you know how many schools we have that are doing that? Um, I could think of about two or three, um, and some of those are, <coughs> excuse me, are um, supported through PTA. The one that I could think of right offhand is Jamestown. Jamestown, right. So they would, they have a person who focus on the outdoor gardens. Um, right where they would provide uh, instructional support that way. So it's, it's Jamestown, we have Campbell that does, and, and Campbell can, goes to a, a nature center fairly regularly, but the other elementary schools don't then really get those opportunities to. Right, and one of the issues also is the uh, transportation, uh, the right. uh, location. Right, okay, great, thank you. Um, 
Yes, another question. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm confused by this. I thought PTAs were not able to provide funding for staffing in APS. How, how does that work? I'm not sure, but I know that, um, that uh, Jamestown has a, a, a support staff that provides. I'd, I'd like a follow-up on that, please. Let me look into that, yeah. Ms. Talento. I just wanted to follow up on Dr. Cannon's question. Um, if we did have a natural learning coordinator, would that provide also more frequent opportunities for our elementary schools to go locally to outdoor learning? Um, and then I ask that considering that we still need local bus transportation and accommodation, but is that a realistic way to look at it or would it really be focused on supporting uh, the outdoor learning through by supporting the outdoor lab in, in the enrollment growth or would it be a combination? I think it would be a combination. Uh, one of the things we want to make sure is that we keep the curriculum standard. So <coughs> the curriculum that we have out at the outdoor lab, we want to make sure that our students who are going to uh, the nature centers would have that same curriculum, but also providing additional options for our uh, secondary uh, students. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. I think we're about to about to move on. Thank you so much, Dr. Lee, and um, I'd like to recognize um, Ms. Putnam for coming uh, this evening to Director of Teaching and Learning. And uh, did you bring any other staff that we should recognize? Um, they're not here, but they they're. Incredible. I know you have a stellar staff that you work yes, with. Yes, we're as well. very appreciative of, of our staff. Yes, definitely. So and, thank you so much. And thank you for your support with STEM education. Absolutely. Thank you. Mm -hmm.